So I've tried open relationships. I've tried um, hierarchical polyamory with a nesting partner. And I eventually settled in the last five years on solo polyamory as the relationship dynamic that really suits me as a person that feels the most authentic to me and where I feel I'm fully seen, fully loved for exactly who I am, you know, and where my values of freedom and autonomy are really welcomed. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from all over the world to hear their personal journeys of self-discovery through the lenses of love, sex, and relationships. Our mission is to show people that they're not alone and to inspire them to embrace their true selves so that together we can open minds and live authentically without shame. We believe everyone's story is powerful and beautiful, yet it's important to remember that everyone does life a little bit differently and that the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we aren't doctors. Please consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 323. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a conversation with Roy. Roy was actually previously on our podcast back in May 2021 in episode 182 with his partner, Jesse, and he decided he wanted to come back on, which was amazing, and share an update to his story. Yeah, this is a beautiful conversation, which Again, he's he's still with Jesse throughout this conversation, but he's he wanted to approach the conversation and talk a bit more about his journey in solo polyamory and why that's a good fit for him and sort of how he came to find that and how he moves through that world. And so it's an amazing conversation, and we're just really, really grateful to Roy for reaching back out and for coming on the first time and for for coming back on. Yes, and a quick reminder that Roy is also a relationship coach and counselor, which he'll talk about. Uh, his company is Open Relating. Links to his work are in the show notes. Yeah, when he came on last time, he was still sort of in the, the final phases of finishing up schooling and his training. And yeah, he's been doing it now for a little while. And yeah, we're super excited to to get his work out there as well. One thing we did want to note up front here is a trigger warning around a conversation that happens about 40 minutes into the interview where Roy talks a little bit about uh, his experience in an abusive relationship and a toxic relationship from a few years back. He doesn't go into detail about what happened or get really graphic about it, but he does talk about it and he does talk about the emotions and the feelings that he had around that and how it has impacted his moving through non-monogamy and his experiences in solo polyamory. And so we just didn't want to surprise anybody with that. Um, Again, it lasts for a few minutes and it's at about the 40 minute mark. So if that's something that that you should be aware of, please be aware of it. Yes. Thank you so much, Roy, for everything that you shared and coming back on. We're excited to get this episode out there and share it with the world. For anyone who is a premium subscriber, we're going to jump right into the interview with Roy now. And for anyone else, we're going to go through a couple of announcements. First announcement is the premium subscription that Emma was just raving about. That can be found at our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. That's where you're going to find all of the things we're about to talk about. But on the homepage, if you scroll down to the bottom, you will find links to sign up there. It is a couple of bucks a month. And with that, you help support the show and you get to skip all of the announcements up front. But do not worry. We will still share the important dates and information in the outro so you don't miss those. 
Next up, we have our next virtual meet and greet coming up on Friday, January 26th. That is next week. So go and sign up now. Mark your calendars. Join us for two hours of virtual fun, opportunity to meet a lot of like-minded people, and just enjoy conversation. Uh, These are open to anyone. All you must be is open-minded and respectful. To sign up, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the events tab, or actually right at the banner at the top, you can sign up right there. That banner is amazing. Yes, it's a it good is. looking banner. It is. Yeah. I went to banner school to, <laughs> to put that together. Okay. It was a, it was like a weekend course. Okay. That's a that's a solid course, I guess. Below that <laughs> banner and next to the uh events tab, you'll see the community tab. That is a great place if you are looking for a little bit more beefy community action. Maybe just a meet and greet isn't enough for you. You would love to have people in your life who are like you all day, every day. This is the place to find it. We have people from all over the world, all over the country who come together every day to support one another, to share their experiences and help support each other. So if you would like a little bit more of that in your life, we have monthly Q&A calls. We have a men's group. We have a women's group. And again, there's ongoing chat. You know what we also have, Emma? An in-person meetup. Yes, we just last weekend, well, yeah, last weekend, we'll say. Yes. We we had our in-person retreat, which we're trying to do annually, maybe even twice a year. We did one in Atlanta just this past weekend. We don't know how it went because we're recording this before the weekend. I was going to say, full disclosure, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but we're going to assume it was absolutely incredible and nobody got stranded because of all of the winter storms. By the way, winter storm Finn, what the fuck? Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, clearly it's spelled way different with two N's, but but how how fitting. We did have a chuckle about that. So anyway, we will give you more of an update next week on how that went, but we're assuming it was amazing. We're assuming all 50-ish people made it safely and had a blast. So thank you to everybody who's listening to this that was just there, and we hope to see you all at the next one. So, And you can join virtually in the meantime. To do that, you head again over to our website, click on the community tab. You'll find all of the information there and it's just a couple bucks a month. And finally, while you're over there on our website, again, checking everything out. You're checking it all. <laughs> go to the resources tab, click on stdcheck.com. It is our favorite way to get tested for STIs. Using the links there on the resources page gets you $10 off a 10 panel test, making it only $129. Plus it supports, using that link supports the podcast, supports us. We really, really appreciate that. And you also get to know your sexual health status. In like the easiest way possible. This is the service that Emma and I have used for years because it is so fast. It's so simple. And we absolutely love it. We wouldn't tell you about it otherwise. And with that, a final reminder reach out to us, send us a voicemail, send us an email. Uh, We would love to hear from you. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or if you have any feedback for us, questions, thoughts, um, just reach out to us, let us know. Yeah, this is, I would just say, this is the best time of year to come on the podcast. Like it's a fresh year, fresh start. Yeah, at the beginning of the year. You're thinking, what am I going to do with my 2024? Well, you're going to tell your story on a podcast. Why not? And this is the podcast for you. Why not? Why not? With that, we are going to jump into the interview with Roy. We will see you all on the other side. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Roy. We're really excited to see you again and and excited to talk to you again today. Thank you so much for being here and reaching out. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to be back. Uh, Good to see you. It's been a a few years. Yeah, it's been a few years. Uh, Yeah, and a lot has (laughs) happened since then. So it's great to have a little catch up. Yeah. 
we're looking forward to it. I know as, as we were talking a little bit before the show or before we hit record that our last conversation, well, not completely, it did talk a lot about COVID and hopefully we don't have as much COVID going on in the world right now. And so it doesn't have to be as much of a focus, but you were also with a partner when you came last time. And so maybe a good place to start is like where, where you're at today and then maybe where we left off about two years ago, and then we can fill in the gap between there. Yeah, so I can, I guess, to it uh, backwards. Um, right now, I'm living alone. Um, during COVID, I was living uh, for a big, big uh, part of that with two partners. And afterwards, once things open up, um, they moved back to their places. And um, since then, I've been living alone, um, identified as solo polyamorous. and. I'm currently in four ongoing relationships um, that I would consider committed, and um, three uh, we would basically call ourselves partner. With the fourth one, it's still in discussion. We're still figuring out what to call it. And apart from that, I ha- have a couple of people that don't live in the UK, or you know, basically are in different cities. I guess you can call them comet relationships where we meet up every few months and spend time together and it's really nice, but there's no um, obligation or commitment for staying in regular contact or knowing exactly when we'll see each other again. But yeah. Mm -hmm. And one of those relationships was with the partner I was with uh, last time. Um, We've been together now for five years. The other relationships are a bit more recent, anywhere from basically eight months to a year and a half. Amazing. Wow. We are th- excited to dig into it all. Where, where were you, you know, roughly two years ago when we talked? Like you said, you were living with two partners, but what did the sort of the landscape look like at that point? So at that point, I think it was just out of COVID. And in the first lockdown, my two partners, at the time I had two partners, and they both moved in with me, and we were that, did that through the first lockdown. Um, after that, uh, one partner moved back to her place. The other one stayed for a little longer, and then she moved back. I think at that time, yeah, I had two uh, regular partners for yeah, two, year, two, three years and still open to other connections and a few casual connections too. So I live in the UK in London, and London is a pretty good place for uh, being polyamorous. A lot of people here are in the community. Um, it's very easy to talk about that. Uh, it doesn't really feel like... People are judgmental, you know, so mm-hmm. and especially if you spend time around the kind of queer and kinky communities, there's so much overlap that it feels very safe yeah. uh, and also relatively easy to meet people uh, for friendships and for dating. I love it. Amazing. And and then the last sort of like set this whole thing up question is just maybe in a minute or two or three, take us from the early days to no non-monogamy to where did, how did polyamory and non-monogamy come into your world? Just again, high level, people can go back and listen, but just so everybody's a little bit on the same page for today. Sure. So if they, if people want to get a, a better, I guess, sense of how it happened for me, they can go back, I guess, and listen to that episode. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I was monogamous for a long time. I had long-term monogamous relationships for most of my life since I was 16 and kind of serial monogamy. So dated somebody for several years, broke up, met another person, didn't spend much time single. 
And I, um, in more recent times, I mean, I was married and then, uh, later on I had another relationship with another person and we had also a child together. So after that, I went back to dating and met somebody who was non-monogamous, told me about it. That's how I discovered basically just went on a date. She said, Hey, I don't do monogamy. I don't want the traditional kind of escalation. And I was just curious and like, okay, like, you know, my ears perked up. What's that all about? And she told me to read The Ethical Slut and Sex at Dawn. And I started doing some of my own research. And yeah, I guess I never looked back. That was about 10, 11 years ago. So I've tried open relationships. I've tried um, hierarchical polyamory with a nesting partner. And I eventually settled in the last five years on solo polyamory as the relationship dynamic that really suits me as a person that feels the most authentic to me and where I feel I'm fully seen, um, fully loved for exactly who I am, you know, and where my values of freedom and autonomy are really welcomed. Yeah. Um, And I don't know where I'll be in the future, but that's what's right for right now. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I'm I'm curious, Roy, this is one of those where I think a lot of the terms in the world of polyamory and non-monogamy, they are, everybody kind of takes them and molds them into their own. And I'm curious for you, what does solo polyamory sort of look like? I mean, you kind of described your relationship structure, but like from a, from a sort of a principle standpoint, what does it look like for you or mean to you? No, I think it's really good to try and be more precise about it, especially because as you said, Ben, um, People use the terms, but might mean very different things. Mm-hmm. And the challenge, especially in the kind of online dating app world, the people now um, started starting to, or maybe it's been for a few years, saying they're polyamorous in order to have access to um, casual sex and dating without mm-hmm. commitment, without responsibility. And it's kind of a buzzword. And mm-hmm. oftentimes... And when people are, that's what they face or what they kind of uh, experience in the dating world. Sometimes when I say I'm solely polyamorous, somebody I'm chatting to maybe will just turn around and say, oh, so you're just dating around. You just don't want any relationship commitment. You just don't want to be serious, right? Uh, you're just out there for, for, for fun. And there's nothing wrong with wanting something casual. That's not, that's not the issue. It's whether you're really clearly communicating your intent and um, not misleading somebody by just telling them what they want to hear, but actually, you know, wanting something else. So for me, and the way I see what polyamory is, first of all, is really about uh, desiring multiple loving and committed relationships. There's an umbrella term, obviously, that people um, are now, I think, more and more coming to call it just non-monogamy rather than ethical, consensual, which I think last time maybe we already talked about the issues that can come up when you're discussing consensual or ethical because it's not necessarily universally understood to be the same thing, you know, so there's also that. Yeah. But um, I, um, on my website, have a, a page that explains what multigamy is. I've come up with this term multigamy instead of non-monogamy um, because I do find that non-monogamy is something that describes itself by contrasting it with monogamy. As saying, well, monogamy mm-hmm. is like this thing everybody knows, and we are like not that. And I feel that yeah. 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 people who are 
practicing non-exclusive relating dynamics deserve to have their own positive word rather than being defined by something they're not, right? Mm -hmm. But that is that means that it's there's, there's lots of other ways to do non-exclusivity, um, swinging, um, open relating relationships, etc. With polyamory, you're actively saying, I want to be committed and be emotionally invested in relationships. So if somebody says, well, you're solo polyamorous, you're just dating, it's like, no, I, I have commitments in my relationships. I have emotional depth. It's just that I require for myself a higher degree of freedom, autonomy, agency than people who are in a nesting kind of hierarchical relationship, for example, or people who are limiting themselves to, to saying, I, can, I only want to be in two relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to limit myself to a number of relationships or what they might look like, right? And I feel that by saying solo polyamory, I'm saying I have a relationship with myself. I need to, I take care of my own kind of um, needs for regulation, for uh, emotional support. And at the same time, I am invested and committed to my partners. It's just mm -hmm. that we don't see each other as often as people who live together naturally but we don't have a desire to necessarily like we're happy with seeing each other once or twice a week. We know that sometimes if, you know, my partner calls me, I won't be available because I'm on a date and they have other people that they can go to if they have a need for some emotional support uh, or to share something. Right. But also that as soon as I'm, I'm able to, I will support them if they need something because I am the partner. Mm -hmm. So yep. in terms of like the emotional in, um, connection, it's no different than, somebody with an monogamous relationship or hierarchical polyamorous relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that and, and really describing kind of what it looks like for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love too that, that it's, it is so varied, I think, right. It, you kind of described, right. You've have a partner from everywhere from five years to a few months. And then within that, there's a variety of, depth and how frequently and what looking like people sees right and it's not okay if if i want to be partnered with roy it's this cookie cutter mold and i just apply it to everybody it's just no this this partner and i we do it this way and this one and i we do it this way and and you you dropped it in there like it's about how we communicate and how we decide together what this looks like and what our lives can support and i think that's I don't know, I think that's a beautiful way to do relationships of, you know, romantic, but also friendships, right? And familial relationships, right? It, rather than being like, well, hey, we're, we're family, we have to do these things and being like, well, we're family, but like, what actually makes sense for us? Or, hey, we're friends, what actually makes sense for us to be friends? And so I just, I love that model. So I appreciate it. Yeah, um, it's something I've um, really tried to apply. And a lot of it comes from the Relationship Anarchy Manifesto. Mm -hmm. um, where exactly it's exactly that it's you, you you essentially look at every connection you have and you decide what kind of relationship values dynamics um meaning it has for you regardless of what society might see it as right like even if i was for maybe logistical reasons practical reasons living with a partner that wouldn't certainly make them a priority for me or create a hierarchy like right. for me this idea in solo polyamory is also that there isn't a hierarchy my partner of five years doesn't get special privileges because I've been with them longer. But that's something that is not so easy to always internalize and accept mm -hmm. because it's not what society is teaching us. Right? Mm 
right? Yeah. Have there been challenges for you with that? Can I, can I just really quick add one thing before that question, Emma? Yeah. And that is just to clarify too, right, that not every partner gets exactly the same thing, right? You said like my partner of five years doesn't get special treatment because they've been my partner for five years, but they might get different treatment because, like just because of your connection, but not because it was longer. So like exactly. you're not saying, right, that they all have to look the same. It's just you're defining them individually based on their individual needs. Exactly. And I, I guess I can go into a hug, what it looks like. So my partner of five years knows me better than somebody who I've known for a year, for example. Uh, she has been with me through more things, through more experiences and challenges. You know, we've gone through various iterations and phases of our relationship. So we've learned so much about ourselves and for, about each other. And there's a certain level of intimacy, of trust that I've mm -hmm. built with her over that time. In that sense, I do feel emotionally very close, and that might take more time to build with a partner that I've been with for a year, year and a half. What, what, what for me is important is that when it comes to, say, deciding how often I see a partner or who do I get to uh, take with me on, on holiday or to a friend's birthday, that I don't automatically prioritize somebody because of the time we spent together, right? Um, yeah. and, and I am with people, I am with my partners because there is value in our connection and our dynamic for both of us. And I may be a little bit different with each one. I might, uh, bring out a different side of my personality and their personality. And similarly, it is for them with other people that they will be seeing. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I just, I felt like it was an important clarifier because it, I think people hear non-hierarchy often and they're like, well, I guess just everybody gets the same equal piece. And if you add somebody, well, everybody's going to get a little less because you have to divide Roy by seven instead of five now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Well, it is. I think it is uh, definitely something that's always important to really talk about and address head on in, in the relationship. So, for example, for my partner of five years, uh, who is the one that I, I was on your podcast last time with? She had to adjust to being with a person who has one other partner to being with a person who has three other partners, right? And it's still a big adjustment because you're talking about all of a sudden, of course, I'm going to have maybe less available time. Mm hmm. We may not be able to see each other randomly uh, you know, on an impulse uh, because we both happen to be free because I need to kind of plan my time better now. And there might be more events where one or more of my partners will, will be there apart from her, right? Which wasn't the case before. So there's a lot of yeah. things that she also has to adjust to if she, well, or chooses to, you know, to be with me. And I also want to be uh, sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and being willing to also sit with her and support that process. And it hasn't always been easy, especially if I start to fall in love with a new person. And I think that's where some of the old kind of anxieties and insecurities can come up. Right? Yeah. And how yeah, I deal with it and how I support her is also a really important part of this. Yeah. And I'd like to point out, too, I, I, 
it doesn't sound like you made that switch like immediately. Like you didn't come to her and be like, we're going from one or two people to four people today. And you got it like, it sounds like it was a gradual change that you have, or at least the conversations around it, maybe. I don't know. I might be reading into this a little bit more, but I was, since you said it's been a little, you know, I can imagine why, like the challenges. I would wonder if yeah. you could just dig into that a little bit. I think it would have been easier if it was gradual, more gradual than it was. Actually, um, what had happened is that post-COVID, a lot of things changed. We started getting more social. There was also this all this energy that wants to connect with people. It wasn't. It wasn't just that you know I lived together with two partners for a couple of months, and after that, still was only able to see them. You know, I was only able to see my partners. I couldn't see other friends at all. Right? You, could, you only choose a number, a small number of people to kind of bubble with. So yeah. we all had this desire to be more social or well me more probably because our partners are quite introverted but um i yeah it could have it would have been nice if it was more gradual but actually two partners like join the scene in relative quick succession so it was actually a lot for her to process and i totally understand that and 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 really have a lot of admiration for how she uh dealt with that uh, in terms of not suppressing, feeling uh, some fear and anxiety around it, but coming, talking, to, talking to me about it, wanting to have these conversations, so she can make sense of that and be okay with that. And you know, if I had dismissed it, if I hadn't sat down and listened to even like difficult fears that she was raising, then I think that it would have made things worse. So it was, yeah, it was a. I don't say struggle, but it was heavy. You know, it was uh, some some of these conversations difficult for me as well because I'm like challenged to sometimes like explain why is it happening so fast or um, how is it going to impact on our relationship now? You know, and I things I don't necessarily have the answer to. You know, mm-hmm. like if you're in the process of falling in love, sometimes it feels very insecure, very much like you're falling, and I don't know where it's heading, but I also know that part of Part of the thrill and the, I guess part of the excitement and part of the joy of being polyamorous is you get to experience this multiple times in your life. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to not have it. <laughs> yeah. But it comes with responsibility to your existing partners for sure. Yeah. I'm glad you said that, right? And, and it was a great, great question. I mean, because I think, right, we, when we talked about a moment ago, right? Well, each relationship sort of gets what it needs and we have that conversation and that makes it sound like you just you just go and have a quick conversation and away <laughs> you go. And it's like in reality, no, like what you want and what a partner wants, they may not align. And now you have to sit and go, okay, well, we don't necessarily want the same thing or maybe we want the same thing, but one of us can't do the same thing. And so like there's so much that goes into that negotiation and agreement around what you're going to actually do with the feelings and the time and and the all of it yeah and i think that the way it's handled um also sets the tone for how these relationships will uh um run and manage themselves alongside each other so for example uh for me it was quite important as soon as i knew that a relationship i have with a new partner is something kind of sustainable something that will stick I would want to make sure that they meet my existing partners, mm-hmm. that there is an opportunity to meet. It doesn't have to be orchestrated as like, let's all meet together at a, you know, at a round table and, uh, 
um, and share. Induct a new member. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, but, you know, like, seize an opportunity for a party, an event, a social or something, and let them, let them meet and basically have an independent kind of assessment of each other that isn't related to me or that it's kind of colored through my lens, you know. And we were able to do that uh, pretty early on, and I think it really helped. And since I've had these new partners, we've also had a couple, like a few times where we would all meet up for dinner or a picnic last summer. And yeah, and it's really, it's really lovely. Um, just one anecdote is um, after my birthday, uh, we had, we met up for dinner with, for my birthday with uh, three partners and my long-term partner um, start, started off by saying, uh, look, I already, you know, heard a lot from Roy. I know, I know what Roy's going to say, but I want to hear from you. So he can kind of sit there and shut up, but like, I just want to actually get to know you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And I have, I just, you just spurred a question. Um, this is completely random, but last time we talked, we, we talked about how you were trying to turn 50, but you weren't able to because of COVID. And I have to ask, did you ever celebrate in the way you wanted to? I did. Yes, I did. Uh, it took two years, so I had to delay it twice. <laughs> but eventually in 2022, I uh, managed to stay 50 until then. And then um, had a beautiful whole weekend of celebration outside of London. And it's like really lovely private retreat and uh, with 20 of my friends, uh, including two, my two partners at the time. And also friends that came from... Uh, from Europe, from lots of places, and yeah, it was amazing. And oh, that's awesome! Worth the wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I just <laughs> it just spurred that memory, and I was like, I have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It was. Um, yes, and I think that's also for me. It was such a great place where uh, I could uh, also communicate with my partners. That once I'm when I'm there, I am. I want to be with everybody. So actually my friends are just as important to me to be there than my partners. There's no certainly a preference and I would spend time with everybody kind of equally. And, um, yeah, cause I love everybody. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, the key with that is communication, right? Telling people up front, like, you know, and that this is what I like, this is what's important to me. This is how I'm going to, to go into this weekend with, you know, treating everyone and just being myself more than anything, right? Being myself. And I just wanted to talk to you about that so that we're both on the same page and your understanding. Yeah. And it's important to also notice, especially for people who are, who have this kind of very strong people, people pleaser part is that sometimes you're going to say things and your partner would not like to hear it and would not actually feel good about it, but that's not a reason to not say it. Mm -hmm. right? Because at the end of the day, it is your truth. And when it's out there, they might say, well, I don't like it, or I'm feeling upset by it. And then you talk about that and you figure out a way to make that work. So you don't have to like conceal a part of yourself or withhold it, you know, or suppress it. And also they're not sitting with this idea of one thing that isn't actually true for you, but they think it is because you haven't told them otherwise. Right. Um, and ultimately that leads to, I think, further complications down the road if you're not really honest with each other. Yeah. Totally. I'm, I'm curious as maybe just sort of building on that, the, the communication and, and all of the sort of skills and tips and strategies you've come up with around this. I'm curious if, if for you over the last couple of years, since we've talked, you've gone from 
two partners that you were sort of nesting with out of circumstance in some reason, in, in some respects, but to now four partners plus some comets and a, a lot of sort of latitude to live. And I'm, I'm curious for you, what, what growth have you seen and what ways have you seen yourself change that maybe allow yourself to support that shift? Cause I'm, I'm like curious, like could Roy of a few years ago actually done what you're doing today? Hmm. Hmm. So for me, yeah, I think that uh, it's definitely been a a learning curve that I needed that time also with two partners, mm-hmm. um, where there was no hierarchy, uh, the relationships were very very different, and um, they were both very good at communication and on telling me when they felt things weren't going very well, you know, and that we needed to kind of work on something. So I learned so much from them as well, and. And I think I needed that because before that, um, and I and I can go into it a little bit more in a bit. Uh, I was in a a relationship that looked like a primary nesting relationship, where it was. I, I never really got to the point of having another partner in the three and a half years that we were together, uh, not for lack of trying. <laughs> but uh, I think that the Roy of then would would not have been successful at all at communicating my own boundaries and needs uh, very well. And often would just go along with whatever my partner like wanted to do, so just to to keep things smooth and to not rock the boat, because that would have felt just too risky. And now, now going into new relationships, and I have dated other people where it didn't progress into a full into a sustainable relationship, but ultimately it was because I could I could see I could say right in the beginning, hey, this is this is who I am. This is how I am in relationships. This is. Uh, my, my, these are my values. This is what commitment means to me. It doesn't look like maybe other more traditional kinds of relationships. And I, you know, if I'm starting to have feelings for somebody, I can tell them I would like to have more commitment relationship with you. I'd like to us to uh, see each other regularly, to be vulnerable with each other. Um, and also at the same time, I don't want to limit either you or, or I in exploring other connections. And for some people, something in what I said didn't fully match their own expectations or their own needs and desires, right? But by being upfront with it, they can say to me, no, this is, I don't think I can give you that, or this is not what I really want. Some people might want more security. Some people want more casual, which then I can, that, that I want, right? Well, we talk about it and then we can see, okay, okay, it's, it's been nice. It's been fun. We had, a, we had a, a nice time for a week, a month, three months. And ultimately, we don't want exactly the same thing, and that's okay. So we just decide to part and either stay friends or if there isn't enough common interest for friendship to basically say goodbye and, and move on. Which, which you say so simply, <laughs> and, and I think that is the, the, what's, I mean, fascinating about this, right, is that that whole process that you just outlined is really challenging, or it can be really challenging, right? Because you can go into one of these conversations thinking like, well, I'm just going to share this and it makes sense and it's beautiful and eloquent and kind. And you have no idea how that other person's going to take it. And now you're like, you go into it thinking, well, it's going to go well. And it didn't go well. Or, oh, I think they'll probably think this and they think something completely different. And so you, in so many ways, like these conversations, you can plan and prepare and do your best, but you don't, you just don't know. And so I think that's what makes them also really challenging, but 
rewarding because you get to learn about somebody in a deeper way than you probably ever would have if you hadn't tried to do something like this. Definitely. Also, I think that uh, specifically in my case, um, the fact that I work as a relationship coach and I talk to a lot of people and offer some advice and insights around managing, especially multigamous, non-monogamous relationships, is it would be kind of hypocritical of me not to take my own advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have I'm giving myself that pressure to also follow my advice and try to be a good, I guess, I don't know, role model, but but just uh, do it well, do it ethically, and um, know that sometimes I can also get hurt. You know, I can fall in love with somebody who doesn't want what I want, and that is going to be painful. So the experience and the knowledge and also some of the, I guess, what I've learned through uh, training as a psychotherapist is helping me to move through that uh, disappointment, that pain, that realization that we're actually not going after the same goal, right? Or not, um, maybe not even consciously connecting for, you know, and that's something that can happen initially when there is an excitement and a limerence, a kind of like infatuation. Yeah. But if you catch yourself early enough, then hopefully people don't get too hurt. Um, but also, like, you know that this pain will, you'll recover from it. There is healing, and it's just a matter of time and, uh, and, and, and shifting perspectives. So I'm not saying it's easy, but it is possible. And get, it does get easier with experience, with practice. Totally. I, I think one of the things you said in there kind of fired up like an example for me that, I, that, that comes to mind around just you said like, we're not maybe looking for the same thing or the same goal. And I think it is, it can be really easy in those moments. Let's say you're swiping on apps, right? And one of you, one person's like, you know, I'm really just looking for something casual. I'm in a place of needing just some fun and maybe some hookups. And, and you see somebody you're like, wow, they are the most amazing human I've ever seen. And they're like, I'm looking for a long-term anchor nesting partner to be a co-parent and all of these things. And you both swipe right because you're both thinking like this could be my person and and instead of like honoring what you're or listening to what you're both truly saying and i know that's like a really in your face example but a lot of these things are so subtle you don't even realize that the path you want and the path your partner wants while they maybe are similar they aren't the same and that might take you in different directions but not being able to I want to say let go, but to adapt, adapt the partnership to say, okay, we, we can't be this close, but we could be this close and, and still live our life. But it's really hard to, to let go of the potential possibility in the dream. Well, that's what we're taught. Society teaches us that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the example you give, and it's, it's a very stark and uh, example, but it's good as an illustration because often we are compromising Mm-hmm. some of our values and needs because this person feels so right, you know, so compatible or just really, really hot. And Or they were the first person to swipe right on me in five months, right? Like there's a whole host of reasons why that they yeah, would do it. Yeah. yeah. And um, as I said, I mean, I think there is space within within the scope of polyamory to honor that to be like, well, maybe what I want, what I really ideally would like with this person, I can't have because maybe they already have a nesting partner, for example. Uh, they, maybe they're married with kids and they, they were not going to have kids with me. But can I still be in their life? Can they be in my life in a different way that will still feel great for me? Will, you know, will, will me, mean that I get to be with this wonderful person? 
Yeah. Um, if the answer is yes, but I always have this lingering feeling like I missed out, or I would like hope, you know, always keep this hope that they will leave their partner and move in with me, I would say that's not very healthy at all. And because again, there's a bit of like denial and escapism in there that over time can build into resentment uh, or unethical behavior. So it's really about like really facing that on. It's like, okay, I know I can't have that. And I'm consciously choosing to have a different dynamic with them. Or if I know that it's like still stuck in me that I somehow can't accept that they're with somebody else, then to also have to do the, I guess, honorable thing and disengage. Mm-hmm. Like be honest about it, right? And that's very difficult. But I think also it means that you're then leaving yourself open to meet someone else, be yourself available for somebody else. Who will um, have more things in, in that can be compatible with you? Who will match you on those things that you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. It may just be too hard to sit in that place of it's not what you wanted, and you're and you can't sit in a place of not getting what you wanted, right? Like that might just be too hard, and that's okay. That's not a failure. That's that's human. That's a human experience. Sure. Yeah. Like some examples I, I can I, I think of, um, which are again more. Uh, black and white in a sense is that somebody who has just come out of a long-term monogamous relationship and has dated me because they want to explore and have fun after being monogamous for so long and really not knowing what's out there. So they're very new to dating. I think the idea of being with somebody who um, is polyamorous, who will also like be happy for them to explore and date other people, who can take them to uh, all kinds of parties and engage in a whole variety of um, of fun is you know it can be a great experience and. In that in that um, example, we had some fun for, and it was nice for a few months. And but ultimately, she met somebody who wanted to be monogamous with her, and that was what she felt the most safe and secure with. And for her, that was what a proper "quote unquote" relationship needs to look like, right? So for me, I did see ourselves. I did see it as a relationship, but for her, it, she never really, I don't think. So in the same way, because it's just so much, so far out of her wheelhouse mm-hmm. to accept that a relationship with commitment and emotional vulnerability and all that stuff and attachment doesn't have to be exclusive. Um, so she made that choice. And for her, that must be the right choice. So I don't like it, but I will accept it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I also wanted to circle back not to not to completely change subjects but i wanted to circle back and you had mentioned um other previous relationships too that sounded like they have really impacted where you're at now and i wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that as well if you'd like to yes thanks so i the reason i am now feeling i guess much more confident about knowing that i can communicate even the more difficult things and the complex things in relationships and uh, even when I feel there's something that's really heavy, I know that by talking about it, by continually being vulnerable, we'll we'll get there. Has a lot to do with what I've experienced in my personal life uh, in relationships. As I said, I've been monogamous for a long time. Some of those relationships were not very healthy because my own patterns were ones that, at the time, um, I think saw me being quite a people pleaser, as well as you know, and quite somebody who needed to be needed by my partner. Right. So often I would choose partners who. I felt needed me or that I could like somehow rescue. Right. And that was a part of the pattern that I needed to really face head on and then go to therapy to really unpack and like, and fully heal. And 
the relationship I mentioned where I was uh, kind of nesting for about three years uh, with a polyamorous partner was um, started off quite enthusiastically and quite, you know, a lot of excitement because we kind of met each other, polyamorous, also dating other people. That didn't really matter. We liked each other. So uh, we started seeing each other very frequently to the point where it just made sense to move in together because we were together a lot. And the other partners we were seeing either a long distance or um, somebody, like in my case, that had the nesting partner, so I only saw her kind of occasionally. And I think very quickly we, we got into this kind of domestic life and also uh, being known as a couple on the scene and hosting parties and being very social. And to, yeah, yeah, and to be clear, this is not the person that introduced you to non-monogamy. This was several years into you kind of exploring and, and That's being right. open to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was my first, uh, I think, full-on polyamorous relationship. Like with my the partner that introduced me, that was like I would call it more open relationships to the point. And at some point, she had me and another partner, but I never had another partner. More casual connections. And with the partner I'm talking about now, yeah, that was a few years into it, and she had more experience than me, so I often followed her lead in terms of how we should do it. And we were, you know, we we did talk about dating others. Uh, in the early days, it was easy to talk about other partners. And I think the main thing we didn't talk about was moving in together. What does that mean to, for a relationship? Like I just I saw it. I think mostly as convenience, as practicality. Uh, we were compatible living together. We had a lot of common um, friends and and scenes and activities. But also, I wanted to have other relationships and and be able to develop those without necessarily a hierarchy in there. But for her, and this is more with hindsight, we didn't we didn't address it full on. Uh, she saw that as us becoming primaries and wanting to be prioritized and consulted with uh, and really to check in with her before anything happens with anybody else kind of thing. And because it wasn't like a conscious agreement we made, we essentially kept having these rules that she asked for and then realizing they don't work and try and then changing them again. And um, then we went through several iterations of creating rules, including in spreadsheets and, <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, just to try and find a way that works where it doesn't activate her, you know, and trigger her when I start dating somebody new and maybe have feelings for them. But um, maybe a couple of years in, it became, I think, well, it became clear for anybody from the outside that it was quite toxic in the relationship, but it wasn't clear enough to me because I was still in a place where I didn't, I wasn't in a confident enough to actually fully say, this is how I want to do it. This is, these are my boundaries. So I would often say yes to what she asked for in terms of more control and um, more hierarchy, just to not get her upset. And what um, what then transpired is that the more that I agreed to things, I also at the same time didn't feel right. It didn't feel authentic to me. So I would then realize, no, actually, I don't want to limit who I see or... I don't want to report uh, or give you advance notice if I'm going to have sex with somebody because if I don't even know that's going to happen. But there's different things that, that she asked me that I just said yes to and then realized, no, that's not actually how I want to do a relationship. And for somebody else, maybe that would be okay, that would work, but definitely didn't for me. I just didn't have the vocabulary to communicate it well. 
And then when I did want to push back, it will be like, well, but you already agreed to it. You can't change now, for example. Or, uh, or I would, well, for example, she would ask me um, not to hook up with somebody from a particular scene where she might happen to run into them and she didn't want to run into somebody that I had sex with. And I interpreted hookup as having sex. So when I did meet somebody that was a addition to that scene and we had a kiss, but I told her, look, I'm not going to go home. I'm not going to invite you home or whatever because, because I have this agreement with my partner. And when I told her this to my partner, she got upset because for her, hookup meant any kind of intimate connection. So we didn't, you know, clarify what hookup means. This is just an example of like how granular you need to get in communication to avoid uh, big miscommunications. So um, to we're, we're, we're nodding along because we we from lived experience can yeah. can agree, Roy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we know we, we we've lived it too. Right. Yeah. So I learned so much about communicating from that, and and that you know helped me even though it went through a kind of a traumatic experience in that relationship, I feel I learned so much from it and I'm yeah much better now at, at, at um, fully communicating and also, you know, being open to when things don't go well, because I can understand, okay, let's, let's go to actually understand why we miscommunicated, right? Where it was. So what happened there is that over time it got increasingly difficult for me to actually have this kind of independent connections with other people where she wouldn't get upset. And eventually it became, well, it, it started with like verbal abuse. Um, and when she would get angry about something and eventually it became physical abuse. And the, it was this weird situation where as a man being kind of attacked, kind of assaulted by your woman, part, female partner, you feel quite isolated because you don't think anybody will believe you. Um, you don't want to, um, I guess, I don't know, it feels embarrassing to talk about it with friends. Uh, a lot of the friends are common friends, so I didn't know if they would also believe me. Um, and I also felt like I was failing, you know. And another part of me felt like maybe I deserve it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I kind of endured it for a few uh, a few months, and some people I did tell did 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 advise me to leave, but I, um, yeah, because of the things I just mentioned, I I, I believe that we can work it out. That because there was always this cycle of of the, something happening, and then she feeling kind of sorry and promising that things will change, and then another cycle, and. Um, yeah, I think that it it culminated in uh, the summer of 2018, where we kind of um, ultimately agreed that there was nothing left to to save there in the relationship. But there was so much, uh, I guess, anger, resentment, frustration that it really boiled over, and yeah, it ended quite badly. Uh, so. I, I I don't I mean I, I guess I'm trying to kind of like give it a nice like tight in the ribbon at the end. Um, it ended um, explosively, 
And we both then kind of just said we were we're going to like not be in contact. Mm-hmm. And um without going into like all the details, it was something that we were able to do, I guess also because of COVID later, like it's it was not, you know, a case of like I wouldn't really run into it for a long time. So by now things are pretty settled. Um and I'm not and I've also went to therapy and immediately after that for a few months. So I think the therapy being in that at that place immediately after after it happened really helped me face the the parts in me that kept me in that relationship. That instead of just saying, No, this is totally unhealthy, I'm gonna walk away, was somehow thinking I can fix it. Mm-hmm. Right. And the other thing I learned from that is when I met my uh the two partners after that is to first be vulnerable and open about it be like hey this is this this has happened to me because by talking about it it's just easier to to heal and also to communicate that i don't want any kind of hierarchy i don't want to live with anybody which you know i can see as a as a reaction to what happened when I did live with, you know, when I had that Nessie relationship, which is why I'm saying right now it still feels right to live alone, but it may change in the future. And yeah, to, to just uh, be very upfront about needing my freedom, right? Mm-hmm. And needing somebody and, and wanting to be with people who wouldn't try to not, not just like not control me, but also to kind of celebrate that, that I'm a free, a free person. <laughs> and be happy for me if i feel good about a new relationship mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that that's always easy i mentioned i mean um i don't know if i will always be happy if my partner has a new partner that they are now excited about and maybe prioritizing even temporarily because you have nre etc right and or you know for example there was one time where both me and my partner started dating the same person and initially, it was kind of exciting. It wasn't a trial. It was just we were just dating the same person separately. But then that person um, decided to continue dating my partner, but not me. And yeah, it was. It sucked initially. It didn't feel good at all. But also, I was really happy for my partner that that their relationship was was going really well and going deeper, and 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 she was getting what she wanted out of it, right? So um, that's the thing about I think. Uh, compersion that it can coexist along other emotions, along negative emotions. Uh, I wouldn't say I wasn't jealous, but I was, I guess, envious that for them it was going well and not for us. But uh, I also accepted. I mean, by by being focusing on being happy for my partner, it made it easier to deal with my disappointment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so um, for like, the way the way I see that period of being in what I can now. I guess call a toxic and abusive relationship is it was a crash course in how to communicate and uh, and what not to do in relationships. And also when I meet somebody now, I really try to figure out if they are somebody that I I can be safe disagreeing with (laughs) safe, having an argument with, um, that I can trust them to be fully um, honest with me about things going not well for them, but not necessarily projecting that on me, right? 
And it goes with this whole idea of like nonviolent communication or basically not saying you did this to me or you made me angry. Or it's like, this happened and these are my feelings. Can we talk about it? Yeah. <laughs> so it's a very different approach. And one that I found creates less drama and brings much more connection, much more intimacy into the relationship. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing all of that and for being open and vulnerable in, in talking a little bit about that relationship. And I'm really sorry that that happened. Uh, it's awful. And I appreciate how you shared how you grew from it and, and have learned. And, um, I also appreciate you mentioning and talking about like, you know, I think so many of us, um, you know, at, let me back up a little bit. Like at the time that you got into that relationship, you, you had a lot of life experience. Like you were, you've been an adult for a while and like, you've had a lot of life experience. And I think so many of us go into relationships or just in general, go through life of like, oh, if X, Y, or Z ever happened, I would do X, Y, or Z. And like with that confidence, and then something X, Y, or Z happens and we don't do what we think we would because of for whatever reason, because of people pleasing, our own our own background, our own experiences, trying to figure out like we actually care about this person, you know, trying to to navigate it, and then you find yourself in a situation, and you're like, I don't know how to do this. Um, and looking back, like I just I appreciate you bringing in those threads of like the feelings that you were experiencing in that moment of, um, isolation because, because we don't know what to do. And we think we do often beforehand, but then it actually happens. Something like that actually happens. And it's, it can feel, yeah, very isolating and very unknown of where to go. So, um, and how, like knowing almost that you need to get out, but you don't know how. Yeah. And so I just really appreciate you touching on that. Yeah, I, I appreciate that too as as well, Roy. And and I think Emma, like it's similar to what you're saying, or maybe it's the same. Is just they, yeah, like you said, you know what to do, and it's even maybe obvious to everybody, but you still can't do it, and that's a really stuck place to be. Where you're just like, yeah, sure, keep telling me every day that I should leave this relationship, and f- for my own reasons, I can't do it today but may you know and at a certain point you get to where you can and but that time in there is so fucking challenging yes but i think there's a value for having friends who will tell you what they see who will really tell you yeah. the truth um, oh yeah and and i you know i appreciate the part of the friends that did tell me even if i didn't listen at the time eventually when i started connecting the dots i think it did help me you know uh, uh to do and and what I've also learned from that is to sustain and invest in my, my close friendships mm-hmm. and, and and give them and know, and let them know that they can always come and tell me what they see and, you know, and have that mirroring um, and know that I have friends I can trust for that. Yeah. And a note to those friends to say when you finally do get to where, you know, you finally listen, quote unquote. To not say I told you so, because because we we already knew or you already knew, right? It's just not that easy, and so yeah. that that's hard to do though, because you're like I told you you should have been out of that six months ago. Like, yes, you you did tell me, 
and yeah, and I think that maybe maybe um, I am more of an optimist. I don't. I think I'm more of a realist, but but I definitely have been able to reframe that whole experience as something that taught me so much about relating about uh and also like having empathy to people who have gone through trauma or through toxic relationships i think it definitely has has played a part in uh driving me to change careers midlife and go into um counseling and into coaching Mm -hmm. Uh, you know if i can help other people not have this kind of trauma not not um go through this kind of pain then i i I owe it to try (laughs) do that You know, yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, as you said, didn't happen overnight, but over time, you've been able to reframe that experience and and gives you a different perspective and empathy for showing up, like you said, for other people in similar situations or even just really hard situations, and to help them and be there for them in a different way. Yeah, and I appreciate this was like a heavy, heavy thing. So, yeah. Yeah, well, and that's, uh, I appreciate, again, just you sharing. Is it heavy? Yes, of course. I I know it's it's likely not easy to talk about, um, even now, even years later. Uh, but the power in talking about it, I mean, you said a little earlier, you, you shared it with your partners up front. Mm-hmm. I mean, even doing that step is difficult, but so important um, because talking about it when you feel when you feel ready and supported enough and resourced enough to do so, it can be it can be healing for sure. And I think and and, and well, maybe thanks to my uh, kind of therapy training as well, I had been over time able to at least see some of maybe my exit perspective in terms of the loss of control she was feeling. I don't know exactly where that came from. What was the kind of uh, originating kind of issue that led to that? I don't think that I created, you know, that it was, it came, it came with her, but also I was probably the way I was behaving or me pushing back. That definitely was a triggering event for her. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, there was also, I guess, more of a professional curiosity about people get to that, place of desperation where that's what they see as the only option is to kind of lash out or head out. Um, I'm not at the place I can say I'm totally depersonalizing the experience. Definitely feels very personal and quite hurtful, but uh, I'm on that process. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I don't think uh, that someone say in her position is like, is bad or evil. It's just that there's definitely a bit deeper wound there that, um, Mm, was expressed in that way. <laughs> now, what I've focused on in the last few years is 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 just uh, um, getting a sense of what does my kind of authentic self really really want in life, and knowing that if I don't actually speak out and express that, nobody will do it for me. Right. So the the partners that i do have are people who i feel really see me a because i'm showing up in that way and b because i think i choose people who have that capacity to see into me and 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 kind of celebrate that as i want to celebrate their authenticity and 
and I don't know if I will stay with them for another year or another 10 years or 20 years. I mean, I hope that it will be a long-term thing. Of course, sometimes it isn't. Uh, one of my other long-term partner, we did um, and things in this last summer. And personally, I don't consider that if your relationship doesn't last a long time or quote-unquote forever, then somehow it isn't a successful one or it somehow it failed. I think that is something that also like I really um, managed to reframe from previous monogamous thinking, where I always felt like if we broke up, it means it failed. You know that I was like I failed the relationship. Um, some relationships have a natural end time, end date, and that's okay. Yeah, which is really important to know. It's really important to, and not just to, like in, it's important to n- internalize and to really feel that that. Um, relationships can can end and it's not a failure but again that's not what we're taught so it takes time and effort to kind of reprogram that yeah yeah for sure well i love this conversation and and i know it won't be our last time talking to you roy and i'm I'm excited for that and i would love to you've talked about your work and your training. And when we talked to you last, you were sort of at the beginning of that journey or not maybe right at the beginning, but you know, it's been a few years and we'd love to get a, an update of like where, where your work is at, maybe what additional training and and schooling you've done and maybe where it's, where it's taking you. Yeah. um, No, it's been a really exciting journey. So I think when we talked last, I was training uh, as a, as a therapist and I was starting my coaching work, uh, coaching practice I've um, uh, completed my training as a counselor and I'm accredited in the UK. So I'm working as a counseling therapist um, with clients both in person in London and online. And while a lot of my clients are non-monogamous to various degrees and are exploring that, that's not necessarily why they come to me, but it's like, it's nice for them to know that I am fully accepting and don't don't judge, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, for that. Um, But I also work with other clients uh for different reasons and my coaching practice is primarily online i see a lot more couples these days um people who are partnered uh, in a diet and uh dealing with uh, issues around polyamory and multigamy um in various ways so um and that's 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 an exciting work often i would see them individually first and then start seeing them as a couple and and, and um and work on on the on the issues and just like help with communication, with setting boundaries, with uh, creating good agreements, and uh, learning that kind of language of re- really radically and um, and compassionately being honest with each other. So that's been going. Uh, that's kind of ramping up. Um, I continue posting content on Instagram because uh, that's actually a lot of my clients find me there and. Not as maybe regularly as I used to, because I have all this other work going on. And one thing that since we opened up everything uh, post-COVID, I really love hosting and facilitating workshops and things in person. Um, During COVID, I did quite a few online things, and I still continue with uh, a monthly online peer support for open relating uh, for the small group very accessible and, and affordable way of like people coming and like just asking questions, sharing stories with each other, learning from each other as well as getting some insights and uh, some group coaching. But I am focusing much more on um, in-person workshops and 
Uh, I've been doing them in London and also in Manchester, Nottingham and Bristol and um, in Berlin as well. So that's uh, something I really love, that energy of working with the group, you know, um, in real life. So I have done some uh, consent and boundaries workshops um, and also something that's becoming very popular are play fighting workshops. And that is just such a great way of, of being fully in your body and learning about how your body responds when you're in the flow and without thinking about everything, you know, without the filter of the mind. Um, it can be very fast, but it's also very playful. Uh, when I say play fighting, it's not, all, it's not necessarily competitive wrestling. It's, uh, well, it's, a, it's uh, basically a, a, a container where you can bring out your inner child, your kind of primal self. Um, uh, you can play with different energies with another person. And you learn about how to communicate your body's needs and boundaries without necessarily speaking, you know, non-verbally. So I see, I see, and I see that people often just release so much um, stuff that they've been like holding on to really tight in these spaces because they're not in their mind, they're in their bodies. So um, yeah, I really enjoy very different type of uh, work, but uh, yeah, it's nice to have that. It's quite compatible, you know. So I, I've got this. Uh, different sides of me that I get to express in, in my different projects. Yeah, I love it. And, and that's amazing. I was going to ask you to expand on play fighting. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. And um, I'm glad, I'm glad you came into our world, Roy. And that we, like Emma said, we just learned about play fighting. I mean, we, I think it's self-explanatory, but also in a therapeutic sense, like it's a totally different, it's a totally different world. And so, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for your work and, and I'm excited to have more resources for people. So thank you for being that. Yeah. And you have some online courses too, as well. So I have, uh, what I've done is over, over the last few years, I've done uh, quite a few online workshops and, and, and talks and I've kept them on my website. So there are videos available where people can download them from the website around jealousy, introduction to polyamory, um, uh, lots of different things uh, that that are available there. Um, I've also have some audio um, talks and, and podcasts, and I've been writing articles over the time. So there's a whole blog with, I think, I think quite in depth uh, writings on relationships, not necessarily only polyamory and only, but just on unrelating more generally. And in December, I um, did a, a workshop. Uh, specifically for couples and opening up a monogamous relationship. And my intention is in 2024 to offer an online course specifically for opening up from monogamy. Awesome. And it's something that I, you know, which should be available on my website uh, to, to sign up to. So, and then, yeah, over time I'm planning to probably do more, but it's, like I said, at the moment, my priority is more real life workshops uh it feels that that's where my energy wants to go but but there is stuff on my website and it's people want to look it up it's openrelating.love and there's a whole page for play fighting as well um on there and um yeah um i hopefully people will get to experience that because for me it's been a, a real game changer in how i think of my body and how i am in my body 
Awesome. Well, links to all of your work will be in the podcast show notes as always. Um, And thank you, Roy, for just everything that you've shared and for this conversation today, for reaching back out to us and for all of the work that you do too and are putting out there. Um, It's valuable and just really appreciate it. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity too. Is there anything else that we didn't cover uh, today that you wanted to get out there? Uh, I don't think so. I I do want to, I guess, uh, uh, you know, really um, speak my appreciation to my partners. Um, I I, I get so much value out of also their mirroring and their reflections back to me uh, and also learning from their lives and how they manage things. So I'm often in awe and, um, and I appreciation to everybody who is, including yourselves, who are, uh, doing this really important word of uh, work of um, normalizing this for what I what I see as a a very valid choice, but also an orientation for many people that often um, it's quite a struggle to fully express. And I think the more that we can all be vocal about it, public about it, uh, as you're doing and I'm doing, um, the easier it will be for the next generation of people <laughs> discovering more about themselves. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And maybe with that, we just say have a wonderful evening um, for you, and we're going to start our day. So that's that's the way time zones work sometimes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you so much, Roy. Enjoy the rest right. of your day, and hopefully we will talk again soon and uh, get another update in the future. Yeah, I hope so. Take care. And we're back. Thank you, thank you, Roy, for coming back on the podcast another time and for sharing more of your story. We love talking to you and just appreciate the vulnerability that you shared and uh, the work that you do. So a quick reminder to check out Roy's work. Go to his website. Uh, Links are in the show notes. Yes, thank you, Roy. We are super grateful. And you know what? We got to get over to the UK. Eventually, yeah. It's on our agenda. Yep, it sure is. We've got a lot of people in Europe. We need to get to Europe. I know. <laughs> we got to go to Europe. We got to get to Australia. We got lots of places to go. I guess we should just start traveling. <laughs> no problem. It's free. Yeah. Or something like something that. Something like that. Anyway, we wanted to remind all of you that we have our upcoming virtual meet and greet, which is next Friday, January 26th. It is free. Or it can be free. And that is a good way for you to travel all around the world and meet amazing people free. Yeah, it's actually pay what you want, which yeah. means you it can be free if you wanted yeah. to. And it's a way to virtually meet people, like Finn said, from around the world. Including us. Including us. So check that out again on our website under the events tab. Next week, we have a beautiful conversation with Carrie. And I'm not going to spoil that one. I spoil these all the time. My, my plug for this is you show up and you won't regret it. Come back next week and listen. Plus, you get all of our updates about the community retreat that that happened last week, but also hasn't happened at the same time. Because <laughs> we're it's magic really with the recording timing. Magic. <laughs> all right, everybody. We will see you next week. And until then, we hope you all take care. Stay warm. Stay safe. Stay happy and but, healthy. Yes. I kept, I'm going to keep going. I, I, was, I was waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.